Good morning. How are you? Happy Sunday. For those that are here and those online, uh, Mike and Janice are getting better. Uh, like many in our church, uh, they got the flu. I think we're to the flu uh, 2021 uh, right now. Um, the COVID A variant is kind of ran its course, I believe. But don't take my word for it. Um, consult your own doctor. I'm not a doctor, you know. Hallelujah. Um, in any event, I'm healthy today. And uh, Mike asked me to speak. So I, I told Mike I appreciate the opportunity. It's good to be with you. So let me just open in prayer in a way here. It's, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, when you called us by name, we said yes. And ever since we said yes to you, Jesus, things changed. And I never get tired of the way that you talk to us and minister to us and visit us. You do it by your spirit. You do it in the name of the Father. But Jesus, you are the one who has called us unto yourself. And you're the one we follow. And so I give you this morning, Jesus, I invite your presence among us, your supernatural manifest presence that would be here with us, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're doing in the world. You're an active God that's, whose arms are not short. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So Mike asked me to speak Thursday night. I was uh, in the Kingdom School of Ministry. That's uh, what I do around here. Uh, Bruce Stratton, my name, and it's my lovely wife, Brenda, who hates being on TV. And um, so the Kingdom School of Ministry, if you don't know, of course, we run the program September through June every year. It's uh, two nights a week, and it's a 10-month uh, obligation and commitment. And so I'm there every Thursday night and Sunday morning till 10.30, except today I'm here. And uh, so Thursday night I was sitting there waiting for everybody to, to show up about two minutes to seven. I got a text from Mike, and he goes, can you speak Sunday? I said, sure. Immediately I thought to myself, what am I going to talk about? <laughs> and uh, knowing full well that I, I talk in the school uh, just about every week, uh, ten months a year. So it's not that I don't have things on my heart that I want to say. It's what should I say, what's the Lord saying, uh, what's kind of alive for me. Um, I don't like saying the same thing twice. I, I'd probably be a hard time being an itinerant minister that goes from town to town saying the same thing. Um, I, I could probably do it. And there's times when I do go to different places and I'll say some things that have been said before. But I ask, uh, and, and I'd been pondering... Um, Actually, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and so on, which is there's a time for everything. Uh, it starts out and says there is, a, there is a season for every time and event under heaven, or every purpose under heaven. And under heaven is there, but there's a season and a time and a purpose. And the way that's kind of broken down was there's, there's, a, there's a kairos moment. There's a moment in time where there's an event. And then the word purpose in the Hebrew can get to a place where it's talking about something that's good. 
And I paused when I looked at that and I thought, how interesting that the first line would be, and there's a time for uh, mourning, you know, there's a time for dying, there's a time for laughter, there's a time for being alive and a time for dying. But yet the headline in that was that there are good things in life that we focus on. We don't focus on the bad things, we focus on the good things. We all endure the hard things. We endure them in faith, hopefully in hope, and hopefully with love in our hearts. But we still endure. We're kind of in an enduring season right now. But so my mind shifted to a couple of ideas and thoughts, and I stirred around. I end up with, okay, what's, what's the first thing we should really talk about in the year 2022? And that is really the nature of this beautiful little outline here is first things first. Um, it's not probably theological sound, but it's what I, the way I was thinking. And the way I was thinking about it was, well, where is the word first first mentioned? And uh, in some circles in uh, the world, there's what they kind of call the law of first mention, which is when something is mentioned first in the Bible, there's a certain impact that might be delivered upon that reference. Um, I don't know where this idea came from, but I kind of like it. Sometimes it works. So in, in this case, uh, the Old Testament is chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. And it goes on to say this, and I kept thinking of the NIV. I don't know if it's up or not, but the NIV would say at the very beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that there was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that is the first day. The first thing God did, the first thing he did in the planet was separate light and darkness. And honestly, that is probably the most profound thing in all of our lives, is that Jesus is the light of the world. And it's this light that makes a reference point for all of our faith, hope, and love as we move forward through life. It's, it's the light that comes. It's the light that separates you from the darkness. It's the light inside of your soul that separates you from the darkness and the souls of others. It's, it's just true, isn't it? It's true. We need more light. Um, Isaiah 60 is this verse... I hear this. I mean, we're, we're kind of a prophetic group of people around here. Um, and there's a lot of prophetic words that say on a national level or that come to us personally. But this one, uh, this one reference here in uh, Isaiah chapter 60 would say this, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See darkness? It covers the earth. And thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That is what the church should represent to the world today. We should have hope and light for the darkness that's overwhelming the world right now. You know, we might call that darkness COVID, but it's worse than that. It's, it's the dialogue, it's the conversation, it's the rhetoric, it's the negativity. This darkness pervades our own souls. You know, we, we, I think I have to listen to it to understand it, and then it gets on me and I hate it. <laughs> right? I mean, that's kind of my story is, I need to be informed. Well, I'm not that informed. <laughs> you know, I'm informed enough. I'm good. I get it. 
Uh, and then I go for more because I'm kind of an information freak. I like information. That's just how I'm built. Um, probably the, the gifting that I have. But, you know, seeing this light and this darkness really is the greatest distinction in our lives. It's knowing when you're walking in the light and you're not. In fact, you know, it says the first John's it said, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another. Our fellowship is based on light. Our happiness with one another in the Lord in, in any relationship really is based on the light, isn't it? It isn't based on darkness. It's based on the light of the world. And then I would say our natural eyes can distinguish you know, light and dark as well as our souls can distinguish light and dark. It really says in Hebrews that we have our senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And as we grow older in the Lord and we become more mature in the things of the Spirit, we do want to evaluate things according to the Spirit of God. And it is interesting in this text, and I've taken note in my own head anyway, is that you think, well, who is the first representative of the Trinity on the planet? And that may be an odd question for some of you, but it's the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit is one that hovered over the face of the earth. God spoke, but the Holy Spirit was here with us. And in some senses, the Holy Spirit has never, ever left. Because there's a manifest presence of God everywhere. Omnipresence of God everywhere. There's a manifest presence of God every once in a while. That's what I wanted to say. And in that, of course, we receive the Spirit of God, which is in the dimension of that Spirit. But He hovers over the face of the earth. I don't think the Spirit of God in an omnipresent sense has ever left. And what's interesting, too, is you get to the book of Revelation, and it's the Spirit of God is one of the last things referenced. It says, and the Holy Spirit and the bride say, come. End of story. The Spirit's in the, in, the, in the story first and last. And in the midst of that, we have the Father and Jesus, and we can talk about the Trinity and some other day, uh, after five cups of coffee, maybe. I wrote this verse down in my notes. It's not in yours. Uh, but it's in Philippians 1.9. It says, And this is my prayer, that you may love, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight, and that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus. That's the hope. That's a hope in the discerning things in the, in the realm of light and darkness, good and evil. So that's kind of the layout. That's the, the light and the darkness. That's the first thing that we look at. That's the first thing. That's the first day. Then in your notes here I say let's just look at the first three references that talk about firsts. This is just a concordant search, nothing very sophisticated. Um, and I went, well this will preach, now I just have to work on it. And, um, and of course what I find interesting about these first things is that they really talk about what we are to do. Um, I loved Kent's prayer this morning out of Psalm 46. We need peace. We need what God only can bring in our souls and our lives. We need a presence around us that, that overwhelms us with his goodness and his love. That is absolutely what we're here for. But in that, we are followers of Jesus, and Jesus has us do things. He has a plan for our life, and he has purposes for our life. And as I was even thinking about, so these are, are three references all out of Matthew, and they're all out of this Sermon on the Mount. 
The Sermon on the Mount, of course, is one of five major discourses that uh, are, I don't know where that ring is coming from, five major discourses in the book of Matthew. And this, this discourse called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, you know, if I think about it in these terms, if it, we look at the book of Matthew, he's born, right? He gets water baptized, he comes out of the water, he goes in the wilderness for 40 days. He comes out, and by Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, 24, it says, and Jesus healed many, in fact, he healed all. And he cast out demons, and he healed the sick, right? And then we get to, right after what Jesus did for everybody, now the crowd is there. And so here is Jesus, you know, sitting maybe with a sea of Galilee behind him, and everybody's sitting on the mount outside the, outside the Galilee. There is actually a church in, um, around Galilee called the Church of Beatitudes. And you go there and you might read you know, the first eight verses of chapter 5 because that's where Jesus was. He was at a place where you know, there was probably a natural amphitheater. And he's really talking not only to a few disciples that he had, but he's talking to people that were just there. So you've just shown up you're around the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus starts to talk. And one of the first things he says to them is, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I'd be looking at him and going, looking at my friend. I just came here listening to this guy. I didn't realize I was filled with light. I don't even know if I'm the salt of the earth. I just thought he was interesting. He's healing people. This is how Jesus finds more disciples, he just tells you what he sees in you. I don't think we understand how much we're made in the image of God and how much light there is in us because of how he created us. But then he goes on to talk to us as mature individuals in life. And one of the first things he brings up is this wonderful reference here in Matthew 23. Says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, and first go be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gifts. What a wonderfully warm verse to think about on a Sunday morning, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was thinking about it at home. Uh, I'd love to joke around more, but I don't know how to sometimes. But I'm sitting. Uh, it's like you know, you come to church, you're like I love you, Lord, you're great, and then. And the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, you think, I've offended somebody. And that, that memory is in your head. And so what do you do? You go, no, I really love you, Lord. I really want to connect with you. And the Holy Spirit says, you've done something wrong to your brother. You've offended your brother. You've offended your sister. And this is the first thing he reckons with you know in our worship he's like well you can come to me but you need to make it right in fact the verses before that says if you say to someone you fool God might send you into a fiery hell it says what a heartwarming thought you know if I call somebody a fool I may suffer hell well I'm definitely going to suffer a hell on earth in my emotion knowing that my relationship isn't good. Because when we go to find a relationship with the Father, 
part of the process and part of the reality is we are in relationship with a lot of people. Your heart does just not carry Jesus. Your heart carries everybody you love. Everybody you care about. And when you go to Jesus, Jesus says, this person needs to be reckoned with. You need to reconcile with this person. In a Greek study, it would say that, I can probably need these. It's in your notes. The reference is to a broken relationship which must be healed. Here is the responsibility of the guilty person to take the initiative. The reconciled to can therefore be translated as do what is necessary to be friends with your brother again or to become friends again. Do what is necessary. Now, I don't know if this applies to any of you here. I have no idea. It's just first thing mentioned. First thing mentioned. That's, that's my, my sophisticated approach to the study today. But I'll tell you something. In this political environment we work in, many people call many people fools for a lot of things. And there's a lot of offenses out there. And as the light of the world, we have a responsibility not to do that. That's all I can tell you, folks. Jesus said, don't offend your brother. Do not call your brother a fool. So I think the church has a responsibility in the ways of the kingdom that supersedes anything else you might think or feel. You're following Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you're now a believer in him being the Messiah, and you want to kind of do what he says for your life so that your life might go well. So whatever we think, we should think this first. It's really the first thing we should think about. It's kind of difficult, isn't it? You know, because we all have opinions. We all have opinions. Even that quiet little person that you don't think has an opinion, they have an opinion. Just ask them, you know. Give them an opportunity. You who like to talk a lot, me who like to talk a lot, give the person that doesn't like to talk a lot an opportunity. They have an opinion. And they might even have a stronger opinion than you do, and you might just offend them. We don't want to offend anybody. So uh, to reconcile, this, this is what it says in the Strongs. It says, to change the mind of anyone is to reconcile. I'm like, wow. Wow, that's, a, that's, a, that's quite a word. Reconcile means to change their mind? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough order in the Greek, I'd say. That's what I would say. I wrote down this. I said, it's not in your notes. Outward observance of worship without inward obedience of will doesn't work with God. Outward, outward observance of worship without inward obedience of will doesn't work with God. Doing this in public has nothing to do with what this really is in reality. And if there's one thing the Sermon on the Mount addresses, it's our hearts, isn't it? It isn't just our behaviors, it's our heart. Like Jesus goes on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, if you look at a woman with lust, you commit a sin. It's not even about an act, it's about a thought. So we have to rein in our thoughts, which every one of us have thoughts that are all over the place. You know, I, I said the other night, it's true, it's, 
in this uh, in the psychological realm, it says we talk for ourselves at a rate of 120 words a minute. So as I'm talking, somebody else is talking in your head right now. Um, and uh, I don't know what they're saying. They're saying all kinds of things. Um, you are just saying all kinds of things inside your head as I'm talking. Um, and I think that's why when you leave the, the, the building and somebody says, that was really great what was said. And you're like, what? I didn't hear that. Well, you were listening to this other guy talk. Um, we always had another guy in our head. But at this rate, you know, somehow we rein in these things and it addresses our heart issues, which is, which is the most important thing. And, you know, we do have a comforter called the Holy Spirit. But also the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 would say that he also convicts the world of sin. And I, I, I think one of the most strategic things that the Holy Spirit does in my life is convict me. Does that ever happen to you? I mean, that's, that's kindness of the Lord. It goes on to say in Romans, I mean, we'll probably quote it later, but it's the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. It's the kindness of the Lord that helps us understand, you know what, you were wrong. You, you were wrong. What you said, you looked on their face. You know it hurt. You know they didn't like it. It didn't go well with them. You're called to a higher standard of lifestyle. And so am I. And it doesn't mean we don't have an opinion. It just means we care for people. We love people. We love people the way Jesus loved people. Then Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. And uh, this, is, this comes, this is kind of core. You know, this would be the first one you might think of in your head. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That's certainly a great first scripture in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. And what's interesting is if you uh, look in chapter 6, before that it talks about, you know, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And then it goes on to say, don't worry. You know, don't worry about life. Don't worry about what you're going to have or what you're going to you know, get and all those kinds of things. And then it ends with, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry in itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think the King James says, sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. You know, that's kind of how I remember it. And, uh, but this becomes core to us, is that it is in your seeking first the kingdom of God that you find yourself now kind of in the midst of these two other verses. One is where you may be offended somebody and you're aware of it, and the other is that you kind of judge somebody and maybe they're unaware of your judgment. But in this case, the judgment that you've rendered comes back on you. <laughs> Interesting teeter-totter going on right here. In the midst of this verse, 628, got 523 over here, 628 over here, and 71 over here. You got the kingdom in the middle, and it's our pursuit of the things of the kingdom of God. So what I wanted to do for you is, is kind of break this down a little bit differently. So I, on your notes, I've given you this definition out of Barnes Notes. It's a commentary I like a lot. He seems to say things that uh, I think are worth repeating. Um, the word seek is a present imperative, a command to fulfill a continuing obligation. To seek the kingdom means both to submit to God's sovereignty here and now and to work for the future coming of his kingdom. 
to, quote, seek his righteousness means to seek to live as God requires and to truly seek these first calls for total loyalty and commitment. It means to turn to God first for help and to fill our thoughts with his desires, to take his character for our pattern, and to serve and obey him in everything. The call to being like Christ is what we would say when we say we're a Christian, right? Every time I say that now, I'm a Christian, I think about a, a man that I met named Abner Bosky, and he's a Messianic Jew. And I asked Abner once, I said, well, are you a Christian? He goes, we never talk like that. To the, to the Messianic Jew and to the Jew, being a Christian is something that's not good at all. Because during the, the Crusades and during all of church history, most of the time we've taken advantage of and hated the Jews. And so when you ask a Jew or they're Christian, they're like, we don't want to be any, have anything to do with that culture. So they say, I'm a believer in Christ, my Messiah. Right? Yeshua Messiah. That's what they believe. They believe in the same Jesus. They don't like the word Christian. So every time I say the word Christian, I'm like, eh, maybe I could change my, I'm a believer. Well, I'm a believer in Christ. Christ, what does that mean? I'm a believer in Jesus, who Jesus was. I, didn't want, I don't want to offend, you know, in a sense. I want to learn. And then another uh, time, in fact, it was uh, when Jake Hamilton was here last May. Uh, he just mentioned um, this psychologist. I can't remember the name of it right now. Think of it. Uh, Peterson. Um, and he had become a very a clinical psychologist that's now really come to Christ. And there's a clinical psychologist, Jordan Peterson's name. Jordan Peterson, we've been interviewed tons. In fact, on YouTube, I never heard about him last May. I look on YouTube and it's like a three million hits, you know. Um, everybody knows who Jordan Peterson is except me. And, um, but I started listening to him and I watched an interview that he did with Dennis Prager, who's a guy on the radio and he's a Jew and, and Dennis is a great man of articulation, of truth and morality and so on. And, uh, Dennis is like, well, uh, Jordan, um, do you believe in God? And Jordan Peterson said, if I was to say I believed in God, my life would have to demonstrate it. To me, it's a drop-the-mic moment. I mean, what, uh, what an understanding. Sounds like a dog. Um, but what a, what, a, what a phrase to make, you know, that if I was to say I'm a believer, I would have to act like it. I would have to live like it. People would have to know there's something different about you because of the way you live and the choices that you make. And I think that's what being in Christ and being a believer is and someone who really does seek first God's kingdom, God's rule, and God's reign Thanks, Scott. Um, yeah. So, I guess the <laughs> mind you, the fan belt in your car, you want to brakes or something, you know, and you're driving on the road going, it's nothing, honey, really, it's nothing. We're good. Um, yeah. For those of you who don't know what's going on, there's a noise over here we're dealing with. So, um, 
George Ladd says this is what the kingdom of God is. Uh, the kingdom of God is his kingship, his rule, and his authority. And George Eldon Ladd is a man we read every year in the Kingdom School of Ministry. In fact, I passed the books out this week uh, that they'll uh, read with total delight. Uh, no, actually, they probably won't. Because um, it is a book on theology, but it's, uh, it's a short little thing, just power-packed full, I think, a lot of truth. And in his book, he also talks about the mystery of the kingdom. These are three things he says about the kingdom. Because I like this. I think it's important for us to designate between what God's kingdom is like and the kingdoms of this world. God's kingdom is three things here. The kingdom is now here with persuasion rather than power. The kingdom is here, but not with irresistible power. It does not force itself upon men. And the third thing he says is the kingdom of God has come among men, yet men can reject it. Now what kind of a kingdom is this? It's certainly not the kingdom of America we live in now where they're trying to impose a lot of things on us, right? or any government for that matter. It says in Romans that the sword of the government is there to render justice. And if you say no to that sword, you're guilty. That's Romans 13. The, the world economy, the world governments have a power to yield the sword. The kingdom of God is different. We voluntarily find ourselves underneath the cloud of this influence. And we find ourselves in now a different reality. We are now somewhere between heaven and earth because as N.T. Wright would say, heaven is just a dimension away. It's not a distance. We walk in the midst of the kingdom of God, which is his rule and his reign. As we move in his rule and his reign, realms can be created. But realms are different than his reign. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein, King James. Everything is God's. And when we say yes to his kingdom, we're saying yes to his rules and yes to his reign. Now we got three guys after the noise getting serious. <laughs> we did need to have a little fun today because, you know, whatever. Um. <laughs> I also wanted to say this, it's not your nose, is that you would say, well, then how do we enter this kingdom? You say, well, if there's a rule in a realm that I need to be in in order to be in the kingdom of God, something I'm desperately pursuing, how do I enter the kingdom, right? How do I get into this realm? Well, it's, you know the verse already. When I mentioned them to you, well, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless the man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born that's natural is one thing, and that which is born is spiritual is another. To me, the interpretation of that verse in John is that when you're born in the spirit and you're born in the natural, the water would represent the birth canal. You're born of water. That's the human natural birth. The kingdom of God is for us human beings. It's amazing. Once you enter in by the spirit, as a human, you enter into the domain of God's rule and reign. The other verse would be in Matthew 16. It says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. What does that mean? I don't think it means being foolish or young. It means innocence. Innocence and trust. 
When your children were little, they trusted you in their innocence. When they had adolescence, not so much. But absolutely when they're young. And it's this entry point in our hearts of innocence that keeps us involved in the things of the kingdom. We want to be sophisticated. We want to have different answers. We want to have better solutions. We want to know things. But in, in God, it's different. We want to do what God wants. Right? So then the third reference here is, as it says here, first take the plank out of your own eye. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the definition down here, well, I'll read Matthew 7. Um, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use. It will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in yours? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your other's. It's, it is part of our human reality that we don't like sin and difficulty in other people. We don't like the way they mess up. The way we mess up is fine, but the way they mess up, that's just not acceptable. <laughs> right? You know, What I do wrong, it's okay, really, because you, you know me, right? You know me, I, you know I didn't mean it, it's a, not a big deal, but you, you should know better. You should do it better than me. In fact, I'm going to tell you you should do it better and I'm going to ignore everything I need to change my own life. Isn't that how it works? You know, I heard one guy say it once. He goes, you know, the story of grace and law, you know, is like we're not under the law, we're under grace kind of thing. It says, we should, instead of making our brother live under the law and we're under grace, <laughs> is we should be under the law and let them live under grace. In other words, judge yourself more harshly than you do your neighbor. Let them have the benefit of the doubt be gracious to them. If you have received the grace of God, it should make you gracious. It's a byproduct of grace, graciousness, where it means I go, that's cool. That's okay. Now, are, are we all learning how to do this? Uh-huh. All of us are learning how to do this. Some learn it faster than others. Some people are just by nature nice, <laughs> like my wife. It is nice. I see there's a lot of compassion in the house. 98% over here and 1% here. <laughs> and uh, we have all the compassion we need in my household. Um, there's uh, more to that story. but uh, goes on to say, here's, here's your, your definition out of Barnes. The word judge, Greek or krino, can mean evaluate or analyze. It also refers to private judgmental attitudes that share down others in order to build up oneself. The command, judge not, does not refer to judging in a court of law, nor is it a blanket statement against critical thinking. Believers should be discerning and make certain judgments. I'm sure you all know that, but here is in print. You know, When it says don't judge, it doesn't mean don't think. It doesn't mean don't have an evaluation. Don't discern. I mean, if you actually are selected to do jury duty, you have to judge between what you've heard and what you haven't heard and vote accordingly. You are then called to make discerning judgments against things. And in life, we have to judge out things. So it isn't doing that. It's this, it's this judgment against people. Now, I'll tell you about myself. 
if there's a, a secret sin I have that I tell everybody about, it's that this is mine. Um, so I, we have a friend of mine, this lady who's rather prophetic. This goes back about 11 years ago. And um, if you've probably been in my class, you've probably heard me tell this because I don't mind telling on myself all the time to try to help myself change, is that uh, she came over one Sunday afternoon and said, yeah, I have something to talk to you about. Can I talk to you? Can I have a couple of minutes? I'm like, yeah, fine. I like her. I trusted her. She hears the Lord well. She goes, Bruce, you're, you don't understand the authority you carry, and you need to stop talking like that. I knew exactly what she meant. I knew that sometimes the thing I say are harsh and not right. Now, of course, in, in this side of the fence, it's like this, the guy over here on this side of the head, it's like, I'm just telling you the truth. <laughs> this side's going, it's not very gracious. But I'm just telling the truth. I'm supposed to be in the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of kindness. Now, some things, things are true, but, but you don't want to be as judgmental. And what came out of that was really a lesson I believe the Lord spoke to my own heart and that I, I, I repeat it often, is that I think my own judgments are what sustain my spiritual growth more than anything. If my judgments come back on me, then they sustain, they suspend, they delay my spiritual growth because with the judgment that I've rendered, it's back on me. It's kind of immediate. It's invisible. But in the unseen realm, in the realm of the reality of the things of the Spirit under the kingdom of God, I myself suffer the consequences of my own judgments. You yourself will suffer the consequences of your own judgments. Now, how do you know you've judged somebody harshly? You have the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you. You'll know. You'll know if you've done the wrong thing with your mouth. You know, in the, in the tongue is the power of life and death. And, um, it's, you know, to be able to speak in public like this, obviously don't find it difficult to talk in public. So talking is not difficult for me. That means, and in fact, what the proverb says, he who talks much sins much. <laughs> Great word. Um, but it's true. Um, and, and, and that's the lesson to be learned, is that when we look at Jesus, and, and like I said, in a sense, here we are, and we're all assembled at the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus has just done a bunch of miracles, and we're sincerely interested in what this person has to say. We've heard that he might be the son of God. We don't really know who he is. And yet he's telling us the word of the lie of the world. He's telling us, you know, don't offend your brother. And if you're going to go to synagogue, make sure you got it right with your brother first. And then he tells us, you know, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. And then he says, and don't judge one another. If you're followers of me, you won't do this. You know, and he goes on to talk about, you know, foundations of the rock and not the sand and so on. Um, I'll close with this. Not in your notes. It's in mine. First <laughs> John 4, uh, 13 through 21 says this. We know that if we live in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testify 
that the God has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. There is no fear, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. For we love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whosoever loves God must also love his brother. Eddie talked last week about the love of the Father. How much the Father loves us. He agapes us and he phileos us in Christ. He has unlimited love of grace and mercy. And he also has a natural, tender affection for us. When we've received this love, it's transformative. It transforms our souls, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And this love comes and changes who you are on the inside. To your family, you never change. But to your friends, you change. You change, and then you realize... For me to say I love God who I can't see, I need to love my brother who I can see. I wrote my notes. I could have called this uh, How to Move with the Gifts of the Spirit More Regularly. <laughs> because how do you move in the things of the Spirit if you're all jammed up with your judgments? If you hurt people with your tongue? If you're not seeking first God's interests of His rule and reign? When you're seeking the interests of God, you find yourself fulfilling the realities of the God that we serve. If you're after your own interest, you serve your own interests, you suffer your own consequences. It says in Psalms, you know, it's the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. We want the Lord to be building this house. This house. Why don't you stand with me, we'll close. There's a band out there, a guitar or something. So we all stand before the Father in heaven, clothed with Christ because we put him on, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the humility of God. We stand before your throne, Father, and we say, have I sinned? Do I need to reconcile? Do I need to seek your kingdom first? Father, is my tongue in the way of my spiritual growth and destiny? Father, you will speak to all of us according to your power, according to your love, according to your grace and mercy. For it is your kindness, Lord, that brings us to repentance. It is your kindness that comes to us and says, it's me, Lord, that stands in this place needing to change and it's only by your power and your ability and your grace that I can I surrender my will to you 
that you might have your way. We might echo what Jesus said, Father, not your will, but thy will be done. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to just fall on all of us. Come, Holy Spirit, wash us, cleanse us, wipe away the guilt, wipe away the shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are called and love God and have a plan according to his purposes. So I speak a word of no condemnation. I speak a word of grace. I speak a word of mercy and a word of growth and of awareness and of light and of hope and of change. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Holy